Okay, start with a few questions. Um, I've asked this before, but what kind of you know, person do you want to be in life? What kind of person do you want to be known as in life? And then think about that a little bit. And then ask another question, which is what kind of person and what kind of people does God want us to be? What kind of person, what kind of people does God want you and I to be? Not just individually, though, but together as well. Now, I completely realize that there'll be those here who wouldn't call themselves Christian and maybe don't believe in God, and therefore, but we're still being shaped into some kind of person. We're still basing our life on something or someone, particularly their words. They shape us. Maybe many people's words shape our lives. So we're all doing it. We're all kind of finding foundations to put our lives down on where we base them in order to shape our lives into the kind of people that we want to be in the world. That's what human race seem to be doing. So what kind of person, what kind of people, what kind of community? Because again, to be a human being, and I realize that it's not easy or the same for everyone, and there are unique challenges that different people face, but actually, to be a healthy human being is to be in community with others. Which raises the question then, what kind of community do we want to be part of? What does that look like? What are the hallmarks of that? What are the things that are going to shape that community, the flavor of that community, the culture of that community? And then it's the same with the church as well. What kind of church, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, what kind of church do you want to be part of? What is going to shape that most? And what kind of community do we think God wants the church to be? When we're doing this series in James, if you've got a Bible, turn to it. I would encourage you, bring Bibles to our gatherings, whether it's on your phone or whether it's in a, in a kind of solid paper format or whatever. Why? Because it's good to read through when someone is preaching. It's good to follow through and look at the passage, look at the context. It's one way that we, that we learn to read the Bible together, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit as well. So it's just a good thing to do. Um, we've called this series Authentic Christian Living from the book of James. It's in the New Testament, after the book of Hebrews, before Peter, towards the end of the Bible. And um, authentic... Um, Feels like a bit of a buzzword in our culture, you know, a kind of popular word. We want things to be authentic and real. And I think that but we do want that, don't we? Because otherwise, what are we saying? We want things to be not real, inauthentic, you know, hypocritical. You know, I think people, when they come along to church, one of the questions they ask is, is this the real deal? Are these people real? Is it surface level or is there more to this deal? Is there more to their faith and is there more to this community than I kind of appears to be on the surface? And I can totally get those questions as well. And so we've called it authentic Christian living, the real deal. That doesn't mean it's easy. And the book of James as well, this letter, and the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, really, um, wrote, is very practical. It's very kind of down-to-earth. It's not particularly kind of... Some people are very practical thinkers, and others are more conceptual, kind of out-there, sort of idea, you know, that sort of thing. I, I like James. Very just down to earth, very straight speaking. You know, if someone said, yeah, said there's two ways of touching your nose, isn't there? There's that way, and there's that way. Wisdom is knowing what's needed in what situation, 
yeah, and the things that we say. But you can go the indirect route or the direct route. Well, James goes the direct route. And you might feel sometimes in reading the book of James, it's like it's not a touch on the nose, but a thump on the nose. Because he's really direct at times. And it's challenging when you read James. I mean, just when he talks about the rich and the poor. As he touches on this, and Goff touched on this last week, and it challenges me because I kind of can think easily, yeah, well, look at those rich people. Look at Bezos and um, Musk. That's the guy. I was thinking, who's the guy with the rockets? Uh, Elon Musk. Millionaires and these people who've got millions. They're the rich. They're the rich he's talking about. But then I compare what I earn and the way I live to the rest of the world. And I realize, no, no, James is talking to me when he's talking about the rich. And it challenges me. It makes me think. And I love the Bible for that, that it it gets right under my skin. And James, in so many ways, in this letter, wants to kind of get under our skin a little bit. It's challenging. It's down to earth. And he's drawing a lot as well through the letter of James. Um, Obviously, being a disciple of of Jesus and and being brother or half-brother of Jesus, and he draws a lot from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You can read that in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. This kind of, yeah, uh, incredible uh, thing that's influenced all sorts of people. Gandhi, I think, is massively influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. And also from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, the book of wisdom that comes after the Psalms. James seems to be massively influenced by that. And in one sense, you can feel that in the way that he writes, kind of like in these sections almost. It feels a little bit like reading the book of Proverbs at times. And it's good to understand that as we read it through. And one of the things he's really concerned about is the health of the church, not just the individual. And in the first section of James, in this kind of first chapter, he introduces kind of the main themes. He mentions pretty much all of them, I think, in terms of wisdom, faith, wealth, temptation. And one major thing that he um, talks about a lot in the letter is to do with our speech, with our mouths and how we, how we use them. He's concerned, I think, as you read through the book of James, the letter of James, that trouble is brewing in some of the church communities. And it's, getting, and it's brewing because there's angry, maybe unkind, judgmental words that are starting to kind of become common fare in the church. And as you read through his letter in chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. In chapter 4, verse 1, he asks a very poignant question that we're going to ask in a bit. What is the source of your quarrels and your conflicts? What's the root of them? What's the thing that is driving it in your heart? Verse 4.11, he says again, don't speak against one another. You don't need to say that if it's not happening. And then verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, towards the end of the letter, he says, don't complain against one another. So we're going to read chapters, chapter 1, just a couple of verses, 19 to 21. And it says this, and I'm reading from the um, NASB, which is New American Standard Bible, so it might be a slightly different translation than you're reading. He says, This you know, my beloved brothers and sisters. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger 
of men and women does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, all stuff that would muck us up and muck other people up, and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, with a humble heart, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. All of you. All of your life, in one sense. He's speaking about there. I like it that James says this at the beginning, in verse 19, he says, this you know. So maybe he said it to them before, maybe he's written to them in another place. This you know. I know you know this, but I'm going to say it again anyway. How many of us need reminders? I'm guessing it's all, right? I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and guess all of us need reminders of things. I need reminders of things. And so James is saying that. He says, this you know. And I'm going to say it anyway. When it comes to your mouth, open with care. So I want to bring five things out of this that will hopefully help unpack what James is getting at. The first is this. Let our words land in the context of our love for other, others. Let our words land in the context of our love for other people. James says there, after he says, I know you know this, and then he calls them, this you know, my beloved brothers and sisters. Tony brought a word there. It wasn't easy, was it? Kind of, you know, it's like, take us seriously. Don't mess with the holiness of God. There are serious consequences. But Tony's heart is one of love and grace, and so it comes in that package, as it were. And that makes all the difference when someone brings something that is correctional and challenging to our lives, isn't it? Doesn't it? If we know that person is utterly for us, totally and utterly for our good, doesn't that make all the difference? We're less likely to be on the defensive and think we've got something to protect. Because it can feel like that sometimes if someone's correcting you, and the Bible says correct in a spirit of what? Come on, I know some of you know the verse. Correct in a spirit of, I like a bit of feedback, gentleness, gentleness. And so when you're doing it in that environment, love is gentle, it's kind. You can actually receive those things. And James is very much doing that here. Beloved brothers and sisters, we're family. He's not speaking to an organization as a CEO. He's not speaking as a boss to staff, telling them off, you should do a better job. He's speaking as a brother to brothers you know, and to sisters. to saying, come on, guys. That's the context of the challenge. It changes the way we hear things. Jesus, again, Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> Deeply challenging words. Deeply challenging. Get right under the skin. But we know that they come in the context of the one who has given himself for us. No greater love is there than you lay down your life for your friends. Jesus laid down his life on the cross. Therefore, any warning words, correctional words, challenging words that he brings into my life, it's utterly for my good. Utterly. Because he loves me. Do you believe that? If we don't get hold of that truth, when we read some of those words, we'll allow condemnation to get in. That is not the heart of God. It's in the context of love and grace. And we need to allow our words to be shaped by the love and grace that God has poured into our lives and the words that he speaks to us. And then let that spill out in the way that we then speak to one another, even when we're bringing challenges and correcting one another. 
Because that is actually something we're going to do. And I know that's not easy, but it is something that helps produce healthy church culture. So let our words land in the context of our love for others. Second thing is this. Everyone's words shape the culture of the church. Every single one of us plays a part in this. And James says that here. He says, but everyone must be. There's, there's no exceptions. There's no get-out clause. He's just saying that all of our words, and we know this anyway, don't we? We know it from family and workplaces and whatever community environment that you might be in. Our words shape the culture that we're in. Words are incredibly powerful things. In fact, it says in Proverbs that in the tongue carries the power of life and death. Do we think about that before we open this? You know, this is a lifetime. I'm speaking to myself here. It's a lifetime of learning, isn't it? But this is powerful, and James will go on to unpack this through the letter about the power of the tongue, the power of our words. They, create, they carry creative power or destructive power. That is, that is, that is the power of our words. And it's interesting, I find, that, that when you look at the foundation of that for the Christian life, why is it that our words are so powerful? Why do they carry words of creativeness? They can build up. They can, they can, someone can walk away with a deep smile on their face and peace in their heart because of the words that you speak to them. They can also walk away with their head down and weeping in tears because of words that we speak to them as well. Words carry power. We're made in the image of God, the Bible says. And at the beginning in Genesis, it says God spoke things into being. They carry creative power, the power of the word. It's rooted in this, in who God is. And therefore, how we wield them really, really, it really matters. They shape things. Everyone, there's no exceptions. Now look, you could feel, man, that's a responsibility. Oh my goodness. I've got to kind of, I've got to watch it. I'm not going to say anything. I think I'll just put some duct tape over my gob and kind of keep quiet all day. Um, there was a story once of some old saint dude, and they did some strange things, some of these old saints going back sort of thousands, hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of years, but hundreds of years or thousands of years. And I did hear of one one, one sat on top of the pole once, I think, to separate himself out from holiness, I don't know. Um, and another I read about once, he put a pebble in his mouth and carried a little stone in his mouth every day. And the reason he did it was because he knew the power of his tongue. I'm not suggesting you'll go and do this, by the way, because if you choke, that's a health hazard. And we know what health and safety is like in our culture. You'll end up suing me, so I'm clearly not saying to do this. But if you did, I mean, yeah, it was, it's a physical reminder, isn't it? Of before I speak, I've got to take this thing out of my mouth. It's going to make you think before you speak. But it's not a heavy thing. It's not a con condemnatory thing. It's not, oh my goodness, I've got to... Be very Well, we should be careful with our words. <laughs> but it's not a, that. It's actually a dignifying thing. God dignifies you and I when he says that you have responsibility. You're a human being made in the image of God. And to have responsibility is a dignifying thing of our lives. And to take that responsibility 
and to learn how to walk forward. And even out of brokenness and out of mess and out of muck, as we've heard from these stories, you know, I think that one of the massive things I had to learn with my speech was around sarcasm. I thought it was hilarious. I was a deeply sarcastic person in my early 20s. I wasn't a Christian at the time. And I regret it, actually. I look back and think the way I spoke to people and just used my words, cutting words, violence with words in one sense, to cut people down. I thought it was all laugh. It's all funny, light-hearted. Now, we know in British culture, don't we, that actually being a bit sarcastic, we're a bit funny with each other. You know you're good friends. So there is, it's not all, I'm not saying you don't have that, but we've got to be careful with it. Be very careful with it because we shape culture with it. We shape the church by the way that we speak. So we let our words land in the context of our love for others. All of our words will shape the culture of the church. So when I ask the question, what kind of community do we want the church to be? When we ask that question, if we're saying, yeah, we want it to be a kind, loving, gracious, patient community, humble, then each one of us has a responsibility, don't we, to contribute to that and to work out how do I contribute to that and shape that. And then James moves on to these three kind of pithy statements. And the first one he says, in light of this, therefore, be quick to listen. You've got two ears and one mouth. You know, keep the kind of percentages, as it were. And the word quick there means to be eager. It means to be swift. I did wonder whether to use the word hurry, because hurry can be a bit of a negative word, can't it? Like for hurried people, you're kind of rushing here and there. But I wonder in this sense, hurry to listen. Allow that kind of eagerness and quickness to listen. Close this and open these. But the question then has to be, well, listen to what? Because James doesn't directly say that after this. He doesn't say be quick to listen to a podcast, an influencer, a song. He doesn't even say be quick to listen to one another, as important as that is. And I think that is a lifetime of learning as well. It's how do we become good listeners? How do we not just ask one question, but two questions of someone? And really, to deeply listen to someone, take, for me anyway, takes learning. But who likes to be listened to? Who likes to be really listened to? Of course we do. Of course we do. But I don't think that what, that's what James is saying here in this context when he says, be quick to listen. I think the context actually gives us the answer. Verse 18, just before it. And that's the thing with the Bible, is that with any words, <laughs> you want to know what they mean, look in the context. It's very easy to pull words out of context, isn't it? So look in the context and see if we get the answer there. Verse 18, chapter 1. James talks about the word of truth. Verse 21, he says, in humility receive what? The word. Verse 22, he says, prove yourselves what? To be doers of the word. Verse 23, he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word, what are we meant to be quick to hear? I think what James is saying primarily is the word, is what's written in the scriptures, in the Bible, the words of Jesus. It's being one who is hurrying each day to say, I want to listen to those words and let them shape my life. We don't talk about reading the Bible regularly, daily even out of a religious deal. It's just that whose words are going to shape you? Whose words are going to make and shape your day? Whose words are going to influence the way you deal with different situations? Where do we get that from? Well, for a Christian, it is in God's word. It says that, you know, Jesus said that anyone who hears my word 
and does it is like a person building their lives on the rocks, Sermon on the Mount. You can hear James kind of hearkening back to that. And also in Proverbs, you know, it talks about this, being a listener a lot. And so it's being attentive to the Bible. Well, how do I read the Bible? Well, open it. If you're able to read, read it. There's audible versions now that you can listen to the Bible. There's various apps you can read, the Bible app and so on, and some people use. You can use that to start reading it, maybe. Um, there's some great resources online, good tour guides, people who can help us to read the Bible. Because, hey, if you're like me, and I get it, you know, if you're not a Christian as well, and you come to the Bible, it raises questions, doesn't it? Yeah? Yeah? I've got, I've got reams written down. What about that? What about that? How about that? What about that? I just run down, and I want to grapple with it. It's okay to do that. Ask those questions, grapple with it, but read it. And that's one of the other things I'd say. Do it in community. Don't just read the Bible and read what it says on your own in isolation, but read it in community. God's put us with other people. That's why life groups for us are so important. Gathering with other Christians throughout the week in homes, encouraging one another, being friends together, eating around the table, doing life together, but also learning. Learning what it means to follow Jesus, delving into the Bible, taking what's said on a Sunday, not just hearing it today, but chewing it over in the week or the week after or whenever you find time. I'd say the Bible Project online is a good resource in terms of the videos they've produced with these kind of overviews of all the different books of the Bible and other things like that. If, you, if you're a reader, this is a really good... I haven't, I haven't read it all, right? But I've dipped into it. But I know there are other books as well which sold millions, I think, um, potentially. I might be exaggerating there. I can't remember. But anyway, sold a lot. This one is How to Read the Bible Book by Book. Really practical, helpful book. To have alongside your Bible reading. Very short kind of chapters that gives a bit of an intro on the book you're reading, what it's all about, the context for it, things to look out for as you read through. Very simple. Very short little chapters on each book. And it might be helpful just to read something like that before you read it. There's practical things. Or our friend Phil Moore, he's written the whole series on the Bible. He's finished it now. It's taken him 10 years or so, I think, to go through every book of the Bible. These are called Straight to the Heart. Quite a few on sale there. He's a good tour guide. He's a great guy to have someone alongside you just helping you to unpack what does it mean? What does this say? But we want to be those that are attentive to the Bible, to God's word. So that's the third thing. Let our words land in the context of your love for others. Remember that all of our words are going to shape the culture of the church. Therefore, be quick to listen. And then we come on to this next verse in verse 19. Be slow to speak. Open with care. And it's contrast, this, this um, uh, hurry to listen. <laughs> Don't be in a hurry to open our mouths. And that might be easier for some personality-wise than others. You know, if you're an introvert... You might be happy just to not say a lot. If you're an extrovert, who's an extrovert? Oh, come on. I know, some, I know it's all in between and it's all grey sometimes, but some of us just, you know, you can tell it. It's just in a, in a meeting. Who are the first people to speak? We even pray sometimes. <laughs> Extroverts, give the introverts a chance. <laughs> it's important. It's important. But be slow to speak. Don't be in a hurry to speak. It says in, the old, in uh, Proverbs, we go back to the old, there's a couple of Proverbs I love. One is that the person that answers before listening, it is to their folly and their shame. If you answer before listening, it's actually a shameful thing. 
How many times a day do I do this? I like to give an answer. I'm a bit of a, oh yeah, we saw that. But I need to learn and train, and I hope I've got better. You can ask my wife, Jean. <laughs> I hope I've got better over the years. Not giving an answer too quickly, but really listening and understanding first before bringing an answer. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, the person who wants to be wise? Again, I would hope all of us. Proverbs 10 19 says, the person who restrains their lips is wise. So you want to be wise? Well, there's a very practical outworking of being wise, which is to restrain what we say. Look, I don't mean after the meeting, no one has a conversation. I don't want silence in the room after, you know, I don't dare open my mouth. That's not what it's talking about, is it? One of the things I found really helpful, and I think I may have said this before for those that may have heard it, is, is, is that, you know, when you fire a gun, people say, you know, ready, aim, fire. What we often do is ready, fire, aim. Yeah? You understand that? Rather than ready, aim, fire. Okay. Think about that, not just when we open our mouths, but also when we type emails, when we type, when we type social, social media, on Facebook, when we post, all of these things. I've found that what I've needed to do is to really just think, no, ready, aim. And spend a bit of time around that. And sometimes do that aiming with other people. That's really good. That's where community comes in for wisdom. I find that so, I need, I need that. I'm sending an email out the other day to Lois Stoff, and I just said, Jean, can you just read through this before I send this? Because I just want to get her eyes on it and her heart on it. I need that. We need that, don't we? So let's make sure we're being slow to speak, but also in the way that we kind of, it's just so easy, isn't it, in the moment to fire something off. And I think this then draws us into the final bit, he says, which is be slow to get angry. Because it can be in those moments. And you do, you see it on, on social media all the time, don't you? Just rage. Just rage. And you can feel it in your own heart as well. When someone says something that triggers you, it's like, ah, we react. One of the little phrases I try and live with is, Toby, don't react, respond. Don't react, respond. And that might take a bit more time to respond. We can maybe get like it when someone cuts us up in a car or something like that. I would say that this, the whole issue of anger is something that I absolutely brought into my Christian life. Something I've had to just work on year on year and year, really, in terms of dealing with the, the root of it, what's going on in it, why are you an angry person, why do you get so angry? It costs a bit when you're renting houses and you punch walls or punch doors and stuff like that. It's not wise. I put my fist once in anger through a glass door and ended up, I can't straighten my little finger now because it cut the tendons down here, cut all my wrists up and stuff. It's not good. So I get it. If you're sitting there and thinking, yeah, this is a bit, it might not be for everyone. But I think it's different. I think we all grapple with this in different ways. Introverts, maybe there can be a, you know, we use the hedgehog and rhino illustration, that language. Some of us are rhinos. Come on, rhinos. Who's a rhino? Yeah, you charge. Hedgehogs, go in, prickly. Yeah, we all are in different ways. And so slow to anger. Now, what's interesting he says here is don't get. It's not don't get angry ever. And Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger don't sin. Now, 
What is anger? How would you define it? Sometimes we use words so common in our language that to stop and pause and think, well, what do I actually mean by that? Well, I think one way of describing it would be this. It's the emotion of displeasure towards wrongdoing or perceived wrongdoing, evil and injustice. The emotion of displeasure towards wrongdoing, evil and injustice or perceived. It's, it's something that happens when something or someone provokes and antagonizes us. And the word antagonize comes from to struggle against. We get antagonized, someone pulls our strings and you feel it and you feel that pull. That's what anger is. Now then people say, yeah, but Jesus got angry, so it's right for me to get angry. Yeah, I think Jesus did get angry. I think he did experience the emotion of displeasure towards wrongdoing, evil and injustice. I do think Jesus experienced that emotion powerfully in him. He got angry at the abuse of power. He got angry at the oppression of the poor. He got angry when people were taking advantage of other people. The thing I see about Jesus' anger, it is very other-focused. Yeah? But when Jesus was on the cross... And in the lead up to his crucifixion, I just see one who was so slow to get angry when he was ignored. Ever been ignored? Ever get a bit frustrated when someone's not listening properly to you? When Jesus was ignored, when he was denied justice, when he was treated unfairly, when he was, had the mick taken out of him, when he was viciously mocked, when he was brutally beaten... Maybe you can find it somewhere, but I can't. But when I read the story of Jesus' trial, his execution on the cross, I can't seem to find a trace of anger there. Now that challenges me because my anger in that question of James is in verse 1. What's the source of your quarrels and conflicts? What is the source? What's at the heart of it? What gets you angry? What triggers us? What pulls our triggers? And I think about myself and I think, it's probably pretty selfish, actually. It's probably because someone has disturbed my time, my time, like it's my time anyway. <laughs> like I own time. Or someone's cut me up in the car, or like this morning, I'm trying to print off my notes and the printer wouldn't work. And I could feel it getting a bit frustrated at the printer. There might be more serious things, but things that just frustrate us or get in the way when someone offends us or misunderstands us, when things don't go our way. It, again, this frustration can build up. I've heard it said that frustration is, can be the fuse to anger. So when we feel frustration, I think it is a little bit of, what am I frustrated at? Is it a godly, righteous anger? Because I'm indignant and, and this emotional feeling of, of um, what's the word I use, of, of displeasure towards wrongdoing and evil in the world, or is it actually just because it's a selfishness in this? And that's why I think that he says slow. Slow right down in those moments. Because verse 20 says, human anger doesn't produce the life that God wants. What happens when we get angry? Well, one, we stop thinking, don't we? You just stop thinking. Your rational brain kind of goes on holiday somewhere takes a flight to the Caribbean and you stop thinking. Our mouths end up working faster than our minds. 
We end up acting foolishly and do things we regret, like punching windows. We're more likely to sin, Proverbs 29, verse 22. An angry person commits many sins. We cause distance in our relationships. Proverbs says be very careful about making friends with a hot-tempered person. It does, doesn't it, if we get angry? Who wants, who wants to be friends with someone who's angry all the time? It creates distance, whether that's in work, whether that's in home, whatever that is, in our family. And ultimately, we end up causing pain and hurt to others. Destructive words and actions hurt others. And I totally get it as well. You might be here that you've just been on the receiving end of that as well. Words which just cut and are painful and, and, and were said to put you down and put you in your place. And that's what anger does. It's a controlling thing. It's a manipulative thing. It's a horrible thing. And I'd encourage you to talk about that if you've experienced that. Um, talk about it with others. So I like it in verse 21 then. In light of all that, where James says, Therefore, put aside all filthiness and muck and sin and everything that remains of wickedness. Put it all aside. Why put it aside? Because it has this effect. And it's horrible. So it's a good thing to put these things off. And the Bible talks about that a lot. Put that off. And in humility, humble yourself before the gospel of grace. Receive the word and let it shape your life. Now, of course, there's practical things to do when you get angry. There's things like, close this, maybe walk away. Say to the person, I just need a moment. I just need to go and calm down. Admit it. Acknowledge what's going on in your own heart if you're able to in that situation. Breathe slowly. Take some time. That's all good practical advice if you're feeling that emotion of anger. But what difference does the gospel make? What difference does humbly accepting God's word make? Well, just a few things in landing. One is the gospel reminds me that I'm flawed. It reminds me I really am a work in progress and I've got a long way to go. And in the culture of love and grace that, that is there, I can change as well. But it reminds me I'm flawed. And also, therefore, others are flawed. And it gives me a bit more grace. In fact, I was talking to someone yesterday. I was doing this men's event thing in Yarmouth. And this guy was just saying about the way that he feels God's dealing with him at the minute in, in being patient and, and not being quick to actually judge others. And he said, particularly around, he gets a bit irate if someone, like if he's driving at the speed limit and someone who's doing 90 miles an hour goes past him. He said, I get angry. I'm like, oh, how dare they do that? And he said, you know what I've started to think is, well, what else might be going on? Maybe their daughter's just been in hospital. Or something's happened like that. And maybe if I was doing that, I'd be breaking the speed limit as well. And you start to think differently rather than being quick to anger, slow to, you know, think about it. There might be other reasons going on. So I remember I'm flawed, others are flawed. I don't have to hide, I don't have to pretend. I can admit it, I can talk about it. I remind that I'm loved, I'm accepted. That's the gospel of grace. That's what the cross tells me. We've heard that this morning and everything's said. I don't need to repeat that. But Jesus' words, his challenges come in the context of love and grace. And I'm reminded of God's promises of grace, that he's going to do something by his Holy Spirit to help me change. The fruit of the Spirit in a Christian's life are all those things that really speak are the opposite to anger, of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness. I would say that if you're struggling with anger, one of the things to lean into is working out how do I grow in godly wisdom because godly wisdom is gentle. That's what it says later on in James. Godly wisdom is gentle. I think there's something about that, about if you ha- how to handle your anger. is leaning in by the Holy Spirit's power to say, Lord, help me in this. Help me become a wise person. And wisdom is gentle. And I want people to feel that gentleness with the words that I speak into their lives. 
in the way I react to things. So I'd encourage you maybe to drill into that a little bit. Mike, do you want to come back up and the guys can lead us in a song now? We need the help of one another. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to pray that as we draw things to a close uh, this morning. But it's by his grace. And, and, and the best soil to grow in is the soil of grace and the soil of love and acceptance and knowing that from God, the gospel of grace, but also from one another as well. It's the best soil to grow in and mature as a Christian. Shall we stand, please? Let's pray for that. Yeah, it says in Proverbs, um, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I thank you, there is no one greater in faithfulness, which we heard shared earlier. I think Johnny shared that, didn't he? About the faithfulness of God. And there's no greater friend. Christ now calls us friends. That's a phenomenal deal. Faithful are the wounds, things that would sometimes cut deep and provoke and get under our skin, like we talked about with James, these challenges that come. But I thank you, Lord, they come in the context of the faithful friend that you are. And the Holy Spirit, you're just like Jesus, Spirit of Christ. And I do pray that you don't only speak into our lives. The Bible says the word of God is sharp, it gets under. But you also bring the help to change as well grace to change and become more like Jesus. And I pray now as we just sort of sing, uh, I pray God, each one of us who is following you, I pray would just experience that, know that, know that empowerment by you, the resources from you to live the way you want us to be and be the community, increasingly looking more like Jesus as a community of people. I pray for those here maybe who don't know you, just to go, what's this all about? And is this real? Is God even there? I do pray for revelation. Some things we only know through things being revealed to us. And another, another revealing it. And I thank you, God, that's what you do. And I pray that would happen, Jesus. Amen.